millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, flash flooding throughout areas of Mississippi. As heavy rains sweep across the state today, we'll speak with the National Weather Service about the situation. Then the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals hearing arguments about Mississippi's felon lifetime voting ban. Plus, an author shares the story of world-renowned artisans Lee and Pup McCarty of Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Much of the state is under a severe storm warning today. Heavy rains are inundating many parts of Mississippi. Around three to six inches of rainfall are expected and localized flash flooding is likely. And on the phone with us to tell us more about this, David Cox, lead meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Jackson. Thank you, David, for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me on. Okay, well, we know rain is in the forecast, but how bad is it going to get? Well, we are uh, seeing a uh, line of storms move across the area uh, with some very uh, intense rainfall rates. Um, We have seen near uh, two inches here uh, at the Jackson uh, International Airport, and uh, that's within a very short period of time. And so we are expecting, uh, as this moves across, uh, there will be a zone of Heavy rainfall um, generally across the majority of Mississippi is going to see at least three, uh, four inches, but there could be those localized five to six uh, inches or even higher um, where some of these zones of rain uh, could stall. Um, So even if uh, some of this uh, rainfall rates do uh, become alleviated uh, into mid-morning and to the afternoon, we will have a reinvigoration of more storms into tonight and through tomorrow. Flash flooding, how quickly will it dissipate? I know, you know, we have been uh, in drought conditions for some time in the state. Is it possible that it won't last that long? Well, that definitely uh, could have an impact uh, where some of the uh, runoff may not be as efficient as what you would normally expect. But some of the recent cold, uh, hard ground is actually maybe uh, doing the opposite effect, where we are seeing some uh, in some areas where there is more runoff uh, kind of than anticipated. So there will be, that definitely is a uh, um, caveat with, with this uh, storms and uh, heavy rain moving in, that that could alleviate some concerns. But we still are uh, expecting uh, there to be some areas of flash flooding and 
minor to moderate uh, river flooding possible as uh, some of those area rivers and creeks uh, do rise. Can you tell us some of the areas where you're anticipating this flash flooding for folks driving into work or whatever they may be doing, commuting? Yes, uh, we do have uh, ongoing flash flood warnings uh, really across the um, Jackson metropolitan area and then also into southwestern Mississippi as well, right along the uh, Interstate 55 and into the I-20 corridors uh, currently. Uh, But there will be more uh, even if these storms do begin to um, lower in intensity into later into the morning. uh, This some zone will have uh, localized higher amounts of five to six plus inches. And you may have said this already and I missed it, but how long will it last into tonight? What do you anticipate? Yes, uh, we are expecting uh, the heavy rain uh, potential to last. Uh, We do have a flash flood watch and that goes through uh, middle of tomorrow. Uh, So this rain is not really going anywhere um, anytime soon. Um, And we really won't get out of this pattern until later into the weekend weekend. So with flash flooding, what are you telling folks to do? Uh, We'll make sure to uh, just slow down uh, on the roadways if you can on your uh, morning commute. Um, Just, you know, leave as much time between you um, as possible. uh, And, uh, Definitely, don't, as always, don't drive through uh, flooded roadways or uh, areas uh, because you just don't know how, how deep that water is. And when there are heavy rains, visibility becomes very low. Sometimes you can't see in front of you. Are we? Is that the type of rain we will experience today? That's correct. The visibilities have been uh, very low at uh, times. We've had observations down to half mile, which which is comparable to, um, you know, when, when we have a real dense fog. It, it, it seems like that uh, whenever you have this heavy, blinding rain out, outside. Now, I have heard some uh, thunder, and there is some lightning going on. Will this have any effect on power lines, or is it too soon to tell, or just something that could happen that you really cannot predict? Well, um some of the uh, lightning, um, that also indicates more intense um, storms and heavier rainfall rates, which could bring uh, flooding potential. But uh, as you mentioned about um, power lines, uh, there is some potential for some isolated uh, severe storms today. Um, the, our main concerns really are the flooding, but also with uh, the recent drought, and we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of vegetation and uh, trees that have um, really not uh, made it through. So if there's uh, dead limbs or trees out uh, that and heavy rain, um, that could exacerbate potential for uh, some trees to come down as well. Okay. And lastly, we have heard reports from MEMA that there are still some icy roads, largely probably in north Mississippi. What impact, if any, will this rain have on that? Uh, well, um, we have warmed up enough uh, that we shouldn't have... Um, any potential uh, ice concerns out there, but uh, any of that uh, colder, hard ground, that could definitely help uh, exacerbate runoff uh, and flash flooding potential. But you don't really think that's going to be an issue? Uh, not not at, at least into uh, south and central parts of the state. And, and they have uh, warmed up enough that uh, most of those roads should be should be clear. Okay, well, that's good news. Well, thank you so much, David Cox, lead meteorologist at the National Weather Service in Jackson, for giving us an outlook. Uh, Should we anticipate this 
you said late tonight, but it's supposed to rain more this week. Will we be seeing more flash flooding? Yes, uh, we we are. Uh, we have a flash flood watch uh, through tomorrow, and um, and then some of that uh, sh- should begin to subside somewhat into late week. And uh, we'll finally get out of it, all this rainy pattern into uh, late into the weekend. All right. Thank you again, David Cox, lead meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Jackson. Yes, thank you for having me on. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Coming up, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals hears arguments over Mississippi's felon lifetime voting ban. That's next. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A federal appeals court is considering arguments over Mississippi's felony voting ban law being unconstitutional. A lawsuit filed by the Southern Poverty Law Center was argued yesterday before the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals with the full court, which is 19 appellate judges. People convicted of any one of 22 felonies permanently lose their voting rights in Mississippi even after serving their full sentence. And if the law is struck down, it's estimated tens of thousands of folks would have their voting rights restored. Attorneys who represent a class of plaintiffs in the case say this is cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. But some of the judges on the panel say this should be decided by lawmakers and not a court. John Youngwood is an attorney with the law firm Simpson, Thacker, and Bartlett and co-counsel on this case. He tells our Mike McEwen they believe Mississippi's ban on felons violates that Eighth Amendment, as I mentioned. We think the hearing went very well today. Uh, there were obviously a lot of questions from a lot of the judges uh, to both sides. Uh, we think that the questions, uh, you know, got to many of the uh, very complicated and extensive issues uh, in the case. Uh, we thought it was a good discussion, a good argument, and we're looking forward to uh, receiving a ruling from the full uh, Fifth Circuit uh, when they issue it. In, in regards to the questioning from the full panel of judges, the questions posed to Secretary of State Michael Watson, uh, they were less in number and also – I don't want to say getting in the weeds, but getting into some of the details and subsections of the law in question, it seemed like a lot more of those questions were directed to you. Um, just how, do you agree with that, I guess, number one, and and how do you think, I guess, that went? I don't disagree or, or agree with it. I, I didn't sit and count number of questions or or really assess nature. Um, we obviously got a, a great deal of questions. Most of my argument uh, was questions. Frankly, um, I think as you heard at the beginning, I offered them that. Uh, and, uh, sorry, attorneys have the ability to um, speak uninterrupted uh, for the Fifth Circuit uh, during an en banc for the first 15 minutes of the presentation, um, or you can waive it. Uh, we elected to waive it because we frankly were interested in answering the questions that the court uh, thought was important rather than 
you know, telling the court what we thought was important. We wanted to make sure we gave the court uh, every bit of time and every opportunity to ask every question um, as hard as they might be uh, to us so that we could give our best answers. How did the hearing today and the questions with the full panel of judges, how did that compare to the August hearing when it was only three panel judges? Um, that hearing had a fair amount of questions, too. Um, the dissenting judge on the panel, uh, Judge Jones, uh, asked a great number of questions back in December of 2019. Um, you, you saw the hearing today. She obviously um, continued to have a number of questions. So in that sense, I'd say the hearings were very similar. Uh, both of them were, frankly, at least in terms of my uh, argument, uh, full of questions, mostly question and answer. Uh, here, of course, the difference was we had 19 potential questioners rather than just three. And something that I was hearing um, in the in the hearing earlier that I wanted to ask you to elaborate a little more on, um, part of your argument in in the unconstitutionality of this law in Section 241 is the the randomness of the laws which are listed as qualifying convictions. Could you just elaborate on that a little more? Yeah, so look, our primary argument is that, um, and we got to this at the end, I think you heard, the primary argument uh, is that uh, disassociating length of disenfranchisement from length of sentence is unconstitutional. In Mississippi, you have the added layer that what they've chosen to list as a qualifying disenfranchising crime really doesn't follow any pattern. And so you have this added arbitrary nature of the law. But our base position, and again, we made this clear to the court, our base position is that under the Eighth Amendment, uh, disenfranchisement is a punishment. That doesn't mean you can't do it, but you have to do it in a manner that isn't um, violative of the Eighth Amendment, and so is not cruel um, or unusual or cruel and unusual. Uh, and this law is those things. It is It is out of step with current standards of, of decency and practice in the United States, and it is harsh and it is unforgiving. Part of Secretary of State Michael Watson's argument was that felon disenfranchisement for lifetime is in fact not a punishment. What's what's your reaction, I guess, to that claim? That, that is definitely their argument. It's, it's, in our view, incorrect. In the panel's view from August, uh, incorrect. Um, it's inconsistent with how disenfranchisement was looked at back in the end of the 19th century. It is different from what the Readmission Act, um, under which Mississippi was readmitted into the Union following um, uh, following the Civil War, of course, uh, described disenfranchisement to be. Um, it, in that sense, it's inconsistent with Richardson um, versus Ramirez, which is the uh, 1974 Supreme Court case that allowed California's disenfranchisement provision uh, those 50 years ago to stay in place. But Richardson itself uh, refers to the Readmission Act, and the Readmission Act, as quoted in Richardson, describes uh, disenfranchisement as a punishment. And if I'm correct, Richardson v. Ramirez was the last time the Supreme Court itself took up an issue relating to felon disenfranchisement? Uh, it, it's the last time it directly had a case before it in which that was the issue. Uh, correct. That precedent established then is more or less what the Fifth Circuit 
is trying, one, to establish and then rule upon in this case? Yeah, no, Richardson v. Ramirez clearly held at least 50 years ago uh, there were some forms of permanent disenfranchisement that were permitted under the 14th Amendment. What Richardson did not address, because it was not presented, um, and even if it had been presented, could not have been presented in the way we are presented in 2024, uh, was the overlap of the Eighth Amendment on this penalty. And so, first, Richardson didn't even consider it. It wasn't one of the arguments. Uh, and second, even if it had, uh, the arguments that we have today would not have been available to the plaintiffs in Richardson because um, what's taken place over the last 50 years since Richardson is a very significant move by the overwhelming supermajority of the states away from permanent disenfranchisement. I believe it was in your opening statement. You touched on the importance and I guess the role of voting in a democracy. So to your perspective, you know, what What does a law like this, how does that impact upon that? And why do you think it's important just to do this work? Yeah, thank you for that question. It, it's hard to imagine that there's anything more central to a democracy uh, than voting. If you don't have voting and and you don't allow your citizens to vote, then the laws enacted by the people who are elected are not going to be, in my view, in service of the citizens or reflective of their beliefs, desires, um, and wants. And so when you have a law that takes away that right from, in the state of Mississippi, tens of thousands of people forever, for their entire life, there is effectively, effectively nothing they can do to regain it. Um, you are removing tens of thousands of citizens from the core basis of the democratic society that we live in. Um, you are telling them that because they committed a crime, perhaps when they were young, um, uh, perhaps not a significant crime, but I'm not sure that's the important point, but that even though the rest of their sentence is completed, they have no obligation to uh, uh, to be incarcerated. They have no parole obligation. Even though those things are completed, even though those things are completed, they still cannot be full members of society. Um, you hurt democracy and you hurt society. John Youngwood is an attorney with the law firm Simpson, Thacker, and Bartlett and co-counsel on the case. He's arguing against a law that takes away the voting rights of some 22 felonies. Coming up, an author and godson sharing the story of world-renowned artisans Lee and Pup McCarty of Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit provides information on how you can lead a healthy lifestyle. I'm the host, Josie Bidwell. Search for and subscribe to Southern Remedy on any podcasting app to not miss any episode. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. An author is sharing the story of a Mississippi family that took the pottery and jewelry worlds by storm. McCarty Pottery is located in Marigold and world-renowned for unique clay art. It was started by husband and wife Lee and Pup McCarty, an often overlooked part of the business, is their early work making jewelry. Both are now deceased. John Ramsey Miller's author and photographer of the table book, McCarty's of Marigold, The Jewelry. Stephen Smith 
is the couple's godson. They're speaking at History is Lunch at the two Mississippi museums today in Jackson at noon. They're sharing the story of the McCartys and their humble beginnings. Here's John Miller. Uh, Lee McCarty made jewelry four years before he ever touched a, a bit of clay. Uh, he took jewelry-making courses at Columbia in New York, and um, while he was learning to be a teacher up there at the same university, and uh, always loved making it and never stopped. And, and Pup was the same way. She loved the jewelry, too. But at some point, they had to make a decision, and they decided they would concentrate on the ceramics, which they did, uh, but they always made jewelry. Uh, kind of as a relaxation, uh, probably more than anything else. But they were dedicated to the art, and the stuff they made was just spectacular. And so they're really, really known for their pottery. And, John, you wrote a book about the pottery previously. I did. I, did. Uh, I, I started that book in um, 2016, uh, shortly after Lee passed away, Um he had had offers for books before and said, no, when there's a book done, John will do it, and Scott Coopwood will publish it. And that's all there is to it. So that's what we did. The voice told me after the funeral that Lee had said that and asked if I would be interested in pursuing that, and I said, absolutely. So we did, and that book took about a year to produce. Um, Bill Powell took the photographs for that. How long did it take for you to write the book about the jewelry, and you took the photos as well, correct? Uh, yes. I worked on it for about, uh, Stephen, I would think eight months, maybe. That's uh, right. The, the, the piece of jewelry, I did about 400 pieces of jewelry, and some of the shots took uh, all day to set up. So uh, product photography was something I did early on in my uh, several careers, but it was something I loved doing. And uh, so I set up a studio in Marigold. The bulk of the pieces were from Pup and Lee's private collection, things they never sold. They kept for themselves. And uh, they they sold thousands of pieces over over their career. Uh, and they're on some unbelievable people's necks. What uh, made their jewelry so popular, Stephen? Well, it was a, a really just a tribute to the wonderful art that they did over the years. And it was very unique. And for those who aren't familiar with the jewelry, uh, when you when you see the book, you'll be impressed at how modern the jewelry is for the 21st century. But, of course, they were making this jewelry in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. But, of course, and that was one of the things that's really unique about the jewelry. And it really speaks to people and the creativity of Uncle Ian and Pup. And, and I think people are really enjoying the book. Uh, and and I'll, I'll mention this as well. The book is in and of itself a work of art. And John did a beautiful job with the photography. And it's a compliment to Uncle Ian and Pup's art in their jewelry. So I think people will really enjoy it. Plus, a uh, museum-quality book printed here in America. And our printing company uh, did a beautiful job with the book as well. What makes jewelry iconic in your estimation, because that's what you're saying about their work, correct? Correct. That's correct. And, and it's because of that, uh, that uniqueness of their creativity that speaks to people. And I think that's why that's, uh, the jewelry has been so popular over the years and continues to be popular as well. So describe some of the pieces. I was reading where they came up with a glaze that was like their signature glaze, 
of the colors nutmeg brown, cobalt blue, and jade. Correct. And those are all Uncle Lee's formulas because he had a chemistry background, taught chemistry. And then he and Ampup developed those formulas in the 1940s. And, and we continue to use those uh, today. Of course, they're lead-free, so they're fine to eat off of, serve off of. But then they also developed other glazes and then retired those glazes throughout their career as well. And then, of course, the little black squiggly mark on the pieces is our registered trademark. And that's symbolic of the Mississippi River here. Uh, obviously a very important part of the Mississippi Delta and our state. So consequently, it's another tribute uh, in, in that uh, connection to the state of Mississippi. Uh, one of the things that Uncle and Aunt Pup were really big on was the idea of connections, and Uncle Lee would refer to connectivity. And that uh, unique connection that they had with the Mississippi Delta and, and the state of Mississippi carries through in their artwork as well. And that's one of the unique things about uh, McCarty's and uh, the pieces. All right. So we have talked to John Ramsey Miller. Uh, He is the author and photographer of the book, McCarty's of Miracle, Mississippi. And he's joined by Stephen Smith, a godson, who has a shop in Marigold where they are keeping Lee and Pup McCarty's history, work of art alive. We appreciate you. You're going to be at History is Lunch for Mississippi Department of Archives today at the two Mississippi museums at noon. Thank you for having us so much. We appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Join us tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio.